Well, good morning, church. It is great to be in your house this morning. Um, My name is Michelle, and I'm a pastor at Maroondah City Church, soon to be Alabaster Church. We're doing a name change. You can ask me about it later. Um, But yeah, we're changing our name. We have planted a church in the last week in King Lake, and that launched to weekly services. That's super exciting. Um, I live in King Lake, and so I'm very excited about that. So since I last saw you, I'm no longer just the youth pastor. Apparently, I'm the location campus pastor of King Lake as well. So it's very exciting. It's good times. Um, the Pentecostals, they like to add more and more titles to your name as you go along. I, I, I don't get it, but I, I'm there, I'm there. Um, I thought this morning, um, as I've shared before in um, your church, I once was a Baptist youth pastor working under your senior pastor, the wonderful Pastor Lee Kohler, and I have felt very blessed from that season and continue to. So thank you for having me out to preach this morning. A lot of honour for you guys, for both Lee and Pamela and the ministry that you bring. So thank you. Well, I thought, um, you know, and I think I've said this before, I uh, once was, like I said, once was a Baptist pastor. I heard about what happened to John the Baptist. He got beheaded and I thought I better get out before that happens. So I'm out and I landed in a Pentecostal church. And I guess Since then, I've been on this weird trajectory of learning a few things um, about there's a few different distinctives between the Pentecostals and the Baptists. And um, after hearing that you guys had a Holy Spirit Day through the Alpha course yesterday, I thought, how about a former Baptist tells you a few of the things they've been learning about the Holy Spirit now rolling with the Pentecostals? So we're going to have some fun this morning, but um, I thought we might start with a joke. And this one's a terrible one, so strap yourselves in. There was a combined church meeting of a few different pastors from a region. And so there was a Pentecostal pastor, a Baptist pastor, and a Catholic priest, along with a rabbi, um, a Jewish rabbi. And what they decided is that they were going to be more evangelistic. They were going to go out and convert the locals, including the local bears. And so they thought, we'll go out and we'll convert it, convert them. So they went out one at a time on their assignment. So first, the Catholic priest went out and he went out there and he found a bear and he spoke with the bear. He sprinkled some holy water over the bear and he's like, prayed with the bear, got him to say the Hail Mary, the Lord's Prayer. And you know what? He came back and reported to the meeting. Look, I got sprinkled holy water on him. He's prayed the Lord's Prayer. He's probably going to take the communion next week. So real successful. Next, out goes the Baptist pastor. He finds himself a bear. This bear's laying down in the stream. He shares the gospel, reads the word with him, says, this is the Bible. And he, you know what? He says, let me baptise you now. And he baptises the bear in the stream and it's going really well. He comes back and shares his good news report with his friends. Out goes the Pentecostal pastor. And, you know, he actually found a bear that had a broken arm. So he laid hands on him. He prayed for him, taught him how to pray in tongues. It was all good. Comes back with a great report. The rabbi goes out and, you know, for like, you know, he doesn't turn up to the next meeting. I'm like, this is a bit odd. Wonder how the rabbi went. Lo and behold, they find the rabbi in hospital in a full body cast. And they're like, buddy, are you okay? What happened? And lying there, still in a bit of a state, the rabbi says, turns out I probably shouldn't have led with circumcision. (laughs) (laughs) 
And on that note, statistically, it's good to laugh in church. So um, you can email your letters of complaint to lee at northchurch.org.au. Um, let me pray. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, come. Um, Holy Spirit, come. We want more of you. We want more of your presence this morning. Lord Jesus, we are here. We are thirsty. We are ready. And we want to hear from your word. Father God, we thank you for the precious, precious gift of your son. So as we come to open your word this morning, we just want to say have your way and your will in our lives. Lord God, may this not be my words, but your words. What is of you, may it penetrate deep into our hearts. And what is not of you, may it just simply dissipate. We thank you that your word does not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Holy Spirit. Um, Holy Spirit is understood to have two really distinct roles um, and modes of presence in the life in our lives as believers, coming upon us and indwelling inside us. While these two terms are often interchangeable, uh, there, there is an important difference between them. Prior to Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, there was no such thing as the Holy Spirit being present in um, like the Israelites or God's people constantly. He did not reside permanently in their hearts or in God's people. However, we do see um, the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament coming upon people. The phrase coming upon refers to a temporary manifestation of Holy Spirit's power in a believer's life for a specific purpose or task. This was a common experience in the Old Testament uh, where we see the Spirit coming upon various prophets, judges, kings to empower them for a reason, for a season, for something that God God has them to do. We see this in Judges 3, 1 Samuel 16, in Micah 3 as well. In Isaiah chapter uh, 61 verse 1, it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Um, so that was Isaiah's word. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus at his baptism. Um, Jesus actually goes on in the temple to repeat those words, the first scroll he reads out in the temple, essentially declaring, I am the Messiah. Um, this is the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and it's usually accompanied with tangible signs, such as speaking in tongues or prophesying. And prophesying is probably the thing that we see most in the Old Testament. They come with a word or a message from God. On the other hand, the indwelling refers to the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit within a believer's life. So this is a unique characteristic of the new covenant that we have from the cross, that the Holy Spirit is given to believers as a sealing of our salvation. Um, and that's said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And it's deposited guaranteeing our future inheritance in Christ. And you can find that in 2 Corinthians. This indwelling is marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, um, which we find in Galatians being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, um, and the ongoing work of sanctification. But it's important to note that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is permanent. So if this morning you love Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, 
that indwelling has taken place. Um, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Uh, but uh, with the indwelling, it's, this is like a spiritual foundation for us with our relationship. But the Holy Spirit coming upon us is an empowering, enabling and experiencing of the supernatural powers that God has for us, um, that we can go out and do his work. Um, we have a plan. God has a purpose for our lives. God has a calling upon our lives. And he uses Holy Spirit to do that. Um, it does not take away from that permanent residence, though. It doesn't take away from that ongoing relationship with Jesus. Um, there's a few things that the Pentys seem to go on about. My sister came to church with me recently and she walked away and she's like, they're always doing like, there's always the oil thing going on and they're always going on about dry bones. Um, what's the deal with the dry bones? We were literally singing about dry bones in a song a second ago. So I had to read to her from Ezekiel and I was like, you know the story, are you with me? And they say prophesy to the dry bones and they get up. I have not done it to any dry bones personally. Um, I will give it a crack at some point. We'll see how it goes. But <laughs> there is this, this notion of the dry bones. So why we, why we say dry bones come alive all the time? Why are they, all these songs coming out of these churches about dry bones? That's why. Um, because we want to prophesy that something amazing can come, that a whole pile of dead people can come alive again. But here's the thing. All right, uh, qualms in life. Um, so I grew up in a house, I'm half German, um, if you're wondering why I have Eastern European looks going on, that is why. Um, but growing up, we would quite frequently have like, you know, roast for dinner and stuff like this. On a good day, you'd get the roast potatoes or the scallop potatoes. On a worse day, it'd be mash. On a really bad day, boiled potatoes. Worst, right? How bad is a boiled potato? Boiled potato, you like average. Mashed potatoes, getting a bit better. Something scalloped or roasted, very nice. But the ultimate is, come on, we're all about the fries, are we not? Like, are we not about those chips? What happens when you take the humble potato, you put it in some water, put it in some oil, however, and it comes alive. What's the deal with the oil? Theology has not been birthed from frying potatoes. However, you sprinkle a bit of oil on things and something shifts. You can be an average preacher, you put a bit of oil on it and you become a better preacher all of a sudden. Um, you average worship leader, all of a sudden you start to sound a bit better. Why is this? What is the significance of the oil? Well, anointing oil. It's considered to be a powerful symbol of the Holy Spirit and his presence and his power. This train of thought is based on several Bible references where anointing oil is used in a spiritual content, context. The primary biblical references um, for anointing oil, uh, particularly in the New Testament, you'd find in James 5 verses 14 and 15, which says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Um, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. This passage is often interpreted to mean that anointing oil is a physical representation of the Holy Spirit's healing power. 
when the oil is applied to a person, it symbolizes the Holy Spirit and the power of God both to heal the physical and spiritual illnesses. We find anointing oil, however, wasn't a new, just fresh to the New Testament when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and dwelled in people. We actually see it all throughout the Old Testament. Starting the first instance that we see it is the story of Jacob. And you know, Jacob, that time he sleeps on the rock, he gets the stairway to heaven and he comes out. He actually anoints that rock in that moment and he says, this is the house of God and he calls it Bethel. Um, that's the first time we see this practice of calling something sacred and anointing it. Why? Where else do we see it practiced? Well, believe it or not, we see it with sheep. Um, this is like, and so it's referenced even in, I think, Psalm 23, references it in the Old Testament. But what they would do with anointing oil, because anointing oil is to be set apart, to be sacred, um, but that's the context of what they'd use it for. But what they'd do with sheep is they'd get anointing oil and they would smear oil all over the sheep's face. Why? Because it would protect them from like flies and insects and lice and all sorts of bugs going up of a sheep's nose and into their eyes and stuff like that. And so it would stop it from getting into their brain and essentially killing the sheep. So it was there to set them apart, to say you are special, you are loved, you, you have a plan, you have a purpose. The plan and purpose for a sheep in those days, you'll produce wool and we'll eat you. Delicious. Um, but, um, but why do we use it as a symbolic thing? Because God sets us apart, he calls us and he anoints us for something else. Um, we see, and this is the setting apart that God does. So it happens with kings. We see this um, in we see this in Samuel. Um, so Samuel six, first Samuel sixteen verse thirteen. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, referring to David, in the presence of his brothers. And then for that day, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So it wasn't just to say set apart, but to say called, anointed, and for the plans and purposes of God. We see this with kings and priests. They were anointed as a sign of their appointment in positions of leadership. So we see that in Samuel 10, 1 Samuel 10 and Exodus 30. Moses practices the anointing oil. Why? Because it's representative of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, we also see in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This idea that by being anointed, we can have an overflowing and an outpouring, um, that it goes above and beyond. It takes something that can be quite simple, like a boiled potato, put it in oil, and something shifts, and it can become something great and mighty like a piece of fries. But just like we can when we are anointed by oil. So here's the thing, right? Um, what's the deal? Like, is it something special? Um, I Tell me you're a Pentecostal pastor without telling me. You carry jars of anointing oil around in your pocket or in the car. Um, is there something special about this oil? Um, no, is the answer. No different to baptism when we pull out the baptism water and we say, hey, here is water. This is representing we're going to go down into the water and come back out. We're representing the death and resurrection. We're dying to self. We're coming back alive. We don't put anything special in the water. We don't even pray over the water, really, do we? But it represents something. It represents new life in Jesus and me declaring that I've died 
to myself. No different as believers and in a Baptist tradition, we take the communion cup and the bread. We do not believe that is the incarnation of Jesus in that bread and cup. That would be practicing the Eucharist, which is a Catholicism practice, or like in Mass, where they believe it actually becomes the bread and the cup becomes the embodiment of Jesus, hence why you'll see priests having to consume it all at the end because you cannot waste the incarnation of the bread and the cup. Unlucky if they bless too much wine. Um, but we don't, we don't believe that. But we believe it represents something. No different to this oil. We believe represents who? The Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit. So it's a physical representation of something very spiritual just like taking the cup and the bread is a physical representation of something very, very special and very, very deep and spiritual when we take that in communing with Jesus. Last week, like I said, um, we planted a church in King Lake. Um, our, so Alabaster Church King Lake has started with weekly services. We've been praying over it for the last year. But as we stood there, we stood there and prayed. And our leadership team, so myself, my senior pastor, and we're partnering with another guy um, whose name's Sam Scott. Um, he's from Hurstbridge Fellowship. He does send his regards this morning to you, Pastor Lee. Um, and so... We're standing there and we had the head of the ACC um, church planning exec. He came and he anointed us with oil. Why? Because we're being anointed to do God's work in that space. We stood there and we prayed and then as pastors we prayed and we anointed the stage with oil. We anointed the back doors of the church with oil in this community hall that we're hiring. We didn't make it too slippery but we anointed it symbolically saying, Jesus, this is your house. You are welcome here. And then we said, anyone who's wanting to be planted into this place, come and be anointed with oil. And we anointed the people as well. How should we use it? We anoint places. We anoint people. And we can get radical with that oil. You want to put the Holy Spirit on something and represent it while you're doing it? Get some oil. Does it have to be special oil? No. Have I anointed one of my nieces that wouldn't, wasn't sleeping with kitchen oil? Absolutely. It's the only oil I could find. Find a nice scented one. It's a bit nicer. Um, but um, it doesn't, it's just simply representing who Holy Spirit is and what he's doing. It's a visual way. Have you got a teenager that doesn't love Jesus? Anoint their bed frame with oil. Like literally, anoint their, go anoint their bedroom with oil. Anoint their laptops with oil and what they're watching, like literally get radical with the oil. Anoint your tyres with oil for safety when you travel. Say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Everyone is able to get behind the oil. It is free for everybody. The next thing I've been kind of learning about is how do we hear from God? Um, How do we hear the voice of God? And this is something young people in particular like to ask the question, and um, I, I think this is this is a really interesting one. Here's the thing, right? If you have Holy Spirit living inside you, which you do, if you love Jesus, uh, we have the ability to hear from God. This is for everybody. Um, so, if we can put up that photo, I have now. This is the best way I can explain something to you. <laughs> And this is how I like to explain it. I'm not sure if you've ever had this moment, right? It's like, what does the voice of God um, sound like? I don't know if anyone here has ever heard the tangible voice of God. 
Personally, I have yet to hear the tangible voice of God. Love to. I think it would scare the crap out of me. But um, until that day, I have not. How do you hear the voice of God inside yourself? I think it looks a little bit like this. Um, We have God speaking and the voice of God inside our heads. It sounds a lot like the same. Like you've ever seen this, these type of characters and Homer's like on one thing, on the other. His voice sounds exactly the same. What he, the content is what he's saying and what he should be doing is sounding very different though. It's like the good angel, the bad angel and a bit of flesh in the middle. We have that as well. Where we have our body, we have our flesh that will sometimes tell us to do stuff, right? It might tell us, hey, I'm hungry, I need to eat something. We have those desires. But then we also have God talking when we're listening, right? And what he's telling us to do sounds a lot different to this guy. But the voice inside your head, however, is going to sound the same for all three. It's learning to distinguish between those characteristics of God, what God is calling us to, what he's saying, and what the evil one is saying as well. Corinthians tells us to take all thoughts captive unto the Lord. So what does that mean? It means that I take that thought and say, hey, Jesus, this is a view. If it's not, take it and take whatever demonic thing brought it and take it away. But if it is of you, like, let's do something about it. Some quick steps to go. Is this God? God doesn't contradict himself. Um, so if it's not in the word of God, it's like, hey, Michelle, go steal that Mars bar. Probably like the word of God says, don't steal. That's probably not God. Um, Sometimes we have to test and try what we're hearing. But learning to hear that voice and recognising that I might be in the middle of this, this could be from me, this could be from God, this could be the evil one, and learning to distinguish that sound. Um, We can move on from that slide. Thanks, Caleb. Um, So first we learn to hear the voice of God. We back it up with the word. And then maybe God might call us to give a prophetic word. So giving and receiving a prophetic word. So in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5, if you'd like to look it up in the word, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather that you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets that the church may be edified. Pentecostal churches love prophetic ministries and they emphasise the role of the Holy Spirit, empowering believers to prophesy and speak forth God's message to the church and to the world. Um, Prophetic ministry is not limited, and I I believe this, it is not limited to a a few. It's not limited just to the pastors. It's not limited just to the super spiritual. God says any believer can step into this anyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. This understanding of the prophetic ministry is based on several key Bible verses, including Joel 2, verses 28 to 29, which speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and resulting in prophetic ministry of both men and women. So it's not just a gender thing either. 
Both men and women can do it. And it says this, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In the New Testament, we then see Acts describing the early church as um, being characterised by prophetic ministry with the Holy Spirit empowering believers to speak God's message with boldness and clarity. In Acts 2, verses 17 to 18, um, it actually quotes Joel and that prophetic word, emphasising the central part of the church's life and mission in these last days, saying God says he'll pour out his spirit um, upon his people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and, um, and old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in and um, in those days, and they will prophesy. But it is also important to have discernment and accountability in prophetic ministry, recognizing that not all prophetic words are from God, and that we have to exercise prophetic exercising our prophetic gifts must be done in submission to leadership and the authority of the church. First Corinthians fourteen um, and. 29 to 33 instructs believers to weigh carefully what is said in a prophecy and do everything that is do everything in the church in a fitting and orderly way. So the question then is raised, how then do we deliver a prophetic word? Well, if you've ever had myself pray for you, um, and if I feel like Lord, the Lord is nudging me or Holy Spirit saying, hey, maybe say this or speak this over a person's life, I will often say something along the lines of this. Hey, this could be from God, or it could also be, and I insert the last meal I ate. Um, so this morning it might be, this could be an egg and bacon McMuffin uh, from McDonald's talking. One or the other. Really high authority, really low authority. Why? Because somewhere in the middle we have got to interpret, is this a word for me or not, if that makes sense. Um, I like to think of it this way. Um, have you ever had like a coffee, you've made a coffee, an espresso coffee, either like pod or any of those types of coffee? The first time you hit the button and run it through, it comes out with a nice, beautiful shot of coffee. Delicious. If you keep hitting the button, it will keep running more water through, right? But every time you hit that button, it's going to dilute. You're not going to get that beautiful shot of coffee. After a few times, it's going to get weaker and weaker. However, even if I'm hitting it probably for the 50th time, it's still going to taste a little bit like coffee. I think this is a little bit like what it's like for us, right? We, it doesn't matter what word we're hearing from God, unless we're understanding that we are just a filtering system in the prophetic. So meaning we have our own biases, we have our own upbringing, we have our own natural understanding of the Bible, we have our own cultural elements. If we don't understand that when dealing and going into the prophetic, we're going to get ourselves in hot water. But this process, right, of us kind of going through, it's like almost this process of sanctification with the Holy Spirit, like the living water flowing through us. Like every time it flows through, like if we're the coffee beans, we're getting a little bit cleaner every time. We're getting a little bit closer um, to having that ability and we learn to, we learn to you know, be a bit wiser and exercise that wisdom. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that we are still just a filtering system. And so what that means is when delivering a prophetic word or delivering what you think God might be saying, we've got to hold it 
It could be God. It could not. And when receiving a prophetic word, same applies. For me personally, I've had prophetic words from 16-year-old kids that I didn't even know if they loved Jesus, like real. And I've let them speak over me. And I've actually, like to this day, this was almost five years ago when I was still at the Baptist church, and one of these young people were teaching them how to hear from God and how to speak that out. And this word they gave me was like so on the money, it wasn't even funny. And it was like in, an, in a season where I was unsure about what God was doing. This was to do with um, the property that I'd purchased and it was looking like it was all going to fall through and there was heaps of stuff going on in that space and having to sit and trust God with that. And they literally, knowing nothing really about me, spoke this word out and they're like, it was very particular, like it's really weird, like I don't think this is anything but I see you on top of a mountain covered in clouds, like on land. They didn't know that I'd bought land on, in King Lake on a mountain that's always foggy. Um, like literally, on a good day you can't see anything. Um, but accepting that and going, this could be from God, it could not, I've got to use some discernment here. Then the next part is I've had also guys from prophetic ministries that have literally evangelistic ministries that have saved millions to their account and their credit and led millions to the Lord. I take them about as seriously as I do a 16-year-old that doesn't, might not love Jesus. I'll tell you why. Like, yes, they might have some credit. Yes, they might have, you know, hit, struck some, you know, kicked some goals in that ministry. However, just because you have that doesn't mean what you're going to say is going to necessarily be for me. Does it line up? Have I heard this before? Is this something God is speaking into my life? We've got to weigh it up. We've got to recognise that. Um, this is where it all starts to tie back in. Um, but this is the other key factor. When giving a prophetic word, it's for the purpose of a strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Um, rarely has God ever given me a doom and gloom word for someone. Like it's to strengthen, encourage and lead them back to Jesus. Condemning words aren't exactly the way of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is very good at convicting himself. Um, he can do conviction. We don't need to do it for him. He's actually good at his job. Um, the last thing that I guess I've been learning about or learning a bit more of the theology about, I'll tell you a story. So I remember um, I was sitting in a Baptist board meeting um, of a Baptist church I was working at and um, we were sitting there and something about praying in tongues came up. And it, I remember the response in the room, like it was, I, I can't remember the conversation except the question was asked kind of like, well, well can anyone pray in tongues? Because, you know, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. Um, and so it was this, this kind of moment of like, can anyone pray in tongues? And I remember this really sweet um, Cantonese, she was actually one of the Cantonese pastors, kind of sheepishly putting her hand up and almost like confession time that she could pray in tongues. Because a little bit of the culture of that church, and I don't know what your church culture is like, is like people would move in the spirit and they would have giftings in the Holy Spirit, but we only practiced them in the cupboard because <laughs> we didn't want, it was like a bit of a fear around it. However, I believe, and I know, like, and I'd say way back when some of the Pentecostal churches had a bit of responsibility to hold for some of the stuff and the theology of, like, you know, unless you're praying in tongues, you're not saved. 
um, they don't hold that theology anymore. Um, they, in the Pentecostal distinctives, it does state that uh, they believe that one of um, the normative signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being able to pray in tongues. But it's not the only sign and it's not a sign of your salvation at all. But anyway, I think the pendulum has swung. We're not quite as in the cupboard anymore and we're not quite as out here crazy. Um, but this whole process of praying in tongues, I remember I was about uh, 15, I was in I think year 10 and I'd gone up to Hillsong Conference and I'd last minute signed up um, and I'd actually taken on an adult ticket. So I wasn't in the youth stream, I was in the adult stream and they'd already signed up for the electives. So I just kind of went along. They just signed up for all the Holy Spirit electives <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm just going along doing my thing. And it was in one of those services, learning about praying in tongues, that I was given the gift of praying in tongues. And I was like, oh, I didn't even really know this was a thing, to be perfectly honest. That was my introduction of this stuff. Uh, But Corinthians says, eagerly follow the way of love and desire the gifts of the Spirit. So on the note of praying in tongues, I'm going to say a few things. (laughs) These are a few things I'm going to say. We can eagerly desire the gifts. And Matthew 7 tells us that we can ask, like when we ask God for gifts, is he not a God that gives us good gifts? He doesn't give us a snake when we ask him for a loaf of bread. Um, So I believe we can ask God for gifts in the spirit, whether that be prophecy, whether that be praying in tongues. And it says especially prophecy. So ask God for prophecy is what Paul's saying. But if anyone speaks in tongues, What's the purpose of doing it? They don't speak to people, but they speak to God. It's a prayer language to God. Um, no one needs to, un- no one understands them, but they're as mysteries of the Spirit. So it's a connection with God. Um, and so we can pray. There's different, it sounds different for different people. Um, but we can, like, and Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But if I, he's going to have to choose between the two, He's going to choose what edifies the church. Um, so it is this interesting, interesting giftings. But my encouragement to you this morning is that we can ask God, a God who is good, who wants to give us gifts for those gifts, whether it be in the prophetic, whether it be for praying in tongues. Um, but Corinthians does lay out some orderly ways that we can do it. The last thing I want to comment on that I've seen, and I don't know if this has ever confused you, the whole idea when we, um, when we pray, saying, come Holy Spirit, come. Why do we say, come Holy Spirit, come? And I think this goes right back to the first point that I was making. We, as Christians, we embody the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. Holy Spirit is inside of us. However, if we want a fresh touch of heaven, if we want to see a move of God, if we want to be empowered to do his work, it's in that space we sit there and we say, come Holy Spirit, come. The Holy Spirit is already in the room this morning. Let's not be mistaken by that. Uh, Why? Because you're in the room. Because I'm in the room. Because believers are in the room. But when we say come, we're saying simply come and give us something new. Give us a fresh touch. Maybe give us a fresh gifting. Um, In Ephesians, Paul says, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This implies that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time event. Just like people don't just get drunk normally once. It's normally like an every weekend event. Um, Maybe 
being filled with the Spirit can be our every weekend event too, hey? that we come and we get filled. And it's a continuous process of being filled and refilled with the power and his presence. So this morning, as I finish up, I would like you all to stand to your feet. And what we're going to do is we are going to stand and we are going to say, come Holy Spirit, come. And we're actually going to say this together as a congregation. We're going to invite Holy Spirit into this space and into this present, in his presence here and say we want to move your spirit. So if you'd like to hold out your hands, close your eyes, raise your hands to heaven. We're just opening our, our positioning before God by declaring we're in a surrendered place. We're opening our hands saying we want to receive from you this morning, God. So together, repeat after me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we are before you. Holy Spirit, we are standing here arms wide open saying come. We pray right now that you would come like a fire, like a flood, and fill us afresh and anew. Church, if you'd like to start praying, you can pray with me. Um, Worship team, if you'd like to join the stage. But we want to say, come, Holy Spirit. We want to say, we want to declare we want more of you in our lives, more of you, less of us. Come, Holy Spirit, and do something. Change something within us. We do not want to walk out of this place the same. We have come here this morning because we want blessings in your house, Lord Jesus. We have come here this morning to declare how good you are. So we say, come, come and touch us afresh and anew. We want more of you. Church, as we sing this last worship song, we're going to open up the altar. And myself and Lee and anyone else from your prayer team or ministry team is going to be available. We're going to have the anointing oil out. If you'd like to be anointed with oil, if you'd like a fresh touch of heaven, if you need a miracle in this house this morning, if you need prayer, if you're sick, or if you want to stand in the gap for someone who is sick, we want to pray for you. If you've never been anointed with oil and like to experience that, please come forward. If you would like the gifts of prophecies or tongues, um, or just want to have that experience and ask God for that and want someone to stand in prayer for you for that, please come forward. I'd love to pray for you. I cannot tell you the hit or miss whether when this works or doesn't work because it's a move of the Holy Spirit and we're asking God for a gift. But God is good, so we come with an expectant heart saying, come Holy Spirit, come. Let's respond in worship.